This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins from my Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Eternal Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We pause right now to acknowledge that your grace, your kindness, your mercy has sustained us. We're here because of you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together to hear from you, to learn from you, and to grow in grace. We're mindful of the enablement of your spirit to unveil truth to our hearts. Thank you for clarity for our minds. Thank you for strength for our bodies. We, we declare that the entrance of your word gives light to the simple. We humble ourselves under the authority of your name and we receive light that makes free. We thank you and give you praise for everything that will be said and done will be to the honor of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So yesterday we started in some sort to lay a foundation for this course, the foundations of faith. And we started with the illustration of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us in the person of the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in absolute oneness, absolute union. And out of that community of love, let us make man in our own image. Man was created to be found and to keep company with the Godhead. In the New Testament, Paul expounds on that and shows us in Ephesians 1 and 2 that it was the desire of the Father to have a family that was the reason for creation. The Father God desired a family and that in Christ, we are brought into the family of God, the household of faith. So we established yesterday, having perspective of some of our missteps as a family or the word of faith in the last 20 years, that every time we get away from relationship as the focal point of our faith, relationship with the Godhead, God the Father, learning to receive love of and from him. Learning to be strong in our identity, in who we are, in the Son, in Christ. And in our yieldedness to the person of the Holy Spirit as he helps us in worship of the Father and the Son. And receiving the things of the Father and the Son. That's where we run into trouble with the mechanics. So, we, having established that, we, we looked a little bit about Faith in that sense is really faith in this character attributes of God. Being omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnibenevolent. That being the critical one which I believe is where our faith struggles. Individually and for the people that we are called to minister to. Then we emphasized 20 reasons why God's word, why faith is important. So, and if you remember, I said, Brother Hagin always used to say, the, the, the parameters of teaching faith 
always falls in these three broad categories, what is referred to as the ABCs of faith. The A of faith, which is where we want to focus today, is what faith is. What is faith? Having laid that structural foundation of relationship, encouraging us never to become mechanical, always staying in the place of intimacy with God. In fact, I'll read one more scripture, then we'll jump into that. Romans and chapter 14. Romans 14. Just to underscore this thought of intimacy with God, once intimacy and fellowship with God is taken out of faith, it will become mechanical, it will invariably become religious, it will become critical. It will bring us to this place where everybody's saying, that confession is wrong. How can you say that? You shouldn't say that. Because everybody becomes the police for everybody's confession. True faith doesn't have anything to do with that. Even in your husband-wife relationship. And the temptation there is significant. Much more than is passively implied. Romans 14. Romans 14 is dealing, Paul is dealing here with the concept of people in faith, how much knowledge and conscience undergirds faith. That certain people will do certain things in faith because of the level of their knowledge. Brother Hagen used to say, you cannot believe beyond your level of knowledge. That means how much you know and how much your conscience allows you is really what you can believe concerning. So he's dealing with the issue of someone choosing a day as a holy day to be consecrated. And another just saying, December 25th means nothing to me. It's just another day. Or someone saying, you, you know, I, I really believe in taking care of this one body God has given me. My body is the temple of the living God. And you know red meat violates my body. There's a way because it takes three days for my body to fully digest. I'm just going to be a vegan. So he's dealing with this issue of don't, don't force over things like that. If that's where his conscience will allow him, give space. So it's in the context of that that I want to underscore this principle. Then we'll shift into the subject of what faith is. Verse 16 of Romans 14 says, Let not your good be evil spoken of. Verse 17, vital. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ, is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things that make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. For meat, destroy not the work of God. Underline that if you have in your Bible, work of God. Underline that phrase, work of God. And we'll come back to it at some point in time. All things indeed are pure, but it is not evil for the man who eateth without offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, 
nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Has thou faith? Has thou faith? Has thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the things which he alloweth. Underscoring this thought again, faith is primarily a transaction between you and God. Faith is primarily a transaction between you and God. It is important that though we are part of the family of God, and a lot of the dynamics of our life will be lived in the context of others. It is imperative that you learn as a habit to live your life for the audience of one. To live your life for the audience of one. Mindful that you are living to him. In fact, people that learn and invariably cultivate the God kind of faith and cultivate strong faith are people who learn to live for the audience of one. They're mindful that they live in community. They're mindful that their life influences others. But they are resolute about this vertical relationship means everything. I'm always in danger of rabbit trailing. Is the danger of pastoring for 20 years. Go to John 5. I wasn't going to go there, but it, it, it beckons on me and I, and I won't pull back. John 5. So we put it in context. Then we'll go into what faith is. Jesus speaking, verse 39. Search the scriptures, or you search the scriptures. For in them you think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that ye might have life. That's verse 40. John 5, 40. You will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you, uh-oh, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another come in his own name, him ye receive. Verse 44. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. The main reason why I read this scripture is the same context of which I read the first. If you will develop strong biblical faith, you must be a person that sets your attention, your affection, your desires to one. You must live like only God matters. Giving God first place and his word first place and the leadings of his place, first place in your life above what everybody else thinks. I say this particularly, particularly because of social media. I say this particularly 
because of social media. We have become a people that not only constantly want to hear what people think about us, but being liked by people has become, is becoming a greater priority for this younger generation. I am becoming very concerned for those of us that have a call to ministry, especially pulpit ministry, and become very indiscreet in our use of social media. You have to be careful with social media. There comes a place in social media where unconsciously you are constantly looking for what people think of what you write, of what you post, of the picture you put, of the video you put to get attention. That thing is almost like dopamine. It's almost like a chemical that controls. It's an addiction. You are, you are wanting to get what people. You are constantly saying things for people. If you will cultivate, and I'm, I don't have a problem with media. I don't have a, maybe I do, forgive me. <laughs> maybe I do. You know, it's interesting. I had the blessing of studying mass media communication. In fact, the course designation was media, faith, and popular culture in 2004. That was long before social media became what it was. In fact, Facebook was almost non-existent. It was that one before Facebook that was popular. And there was, there was a lot of talk about how much of this affects faith. How does it affect our community? It has a place, don't get me wrong. But you have to be careful that you're not constantly doing things for visibility, for attention, to get feedback. You have to be careful. Why am I saying this? Because people that develop strong faith are people that learn to live for the audience of one. People that seek the approval that comes from one. People that live their lives in obedience for one. You have to become such a person to develop strong faith. Having said that, what is faith? Took us four classes to get there. What is faith? To answer that, we'll look at two scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, then Mark 11, 22 to 24. Hebrews, Hebrews 11 and verse 1. The King James Version says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. The Muffet's translation says, now faith means that we are confident of what we hope for, convinced of what we do not see. We are confident of what we hope for and convinced of what we do not see. One modern translation says, faith is giving substance to things hoped for. This is what the Amplified says. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction 
of their reality. Perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. I'll read the Amplified again. Our faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. So in that very first phrase of the definition, what we see is that faith is separated from hope. Faith is not hope. Hope has to do with a, a desired end and an anticipated end. Something you long for. Something you're waiting for. Inbuilt into hope is the sense and element of it is not here, it is coming. Like one of my pastors regular says, something is about to happen. That is hope. It is important for you to settle in your mind that faith is not hope. In fact, Romans and the 8th chapter says that we are saved by hope. So hope is a vital element in you coming to the fullness of that which God has for you. Hope is an important element in you, in you taking, in you seizing, in you appropriating that which is already yours. But it's important to differentiate faith from hope. Faith is being convinced. Faith is being certain. Faith is an assurance. Faith has to do with conviction of things that is hoped for. That Moffat's translation is important. He says, it is being confident of what we hope for. In other words, in this process, you keep hope. But much more than keeping hope, you have faith. Now, faith is. There's been a lot of struggle over this particular, over the construction of this, just from a linguistic point of view. Now, faith is. Does that mean faith is now? Even if you can prove now faith is from Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is always in the now. And we'll look at that. Faith is always in the now. Hope is always yearning and reaching for something out there. Faith has to do with a reality you embrace right now. In the next session, we'll address this subject of what does it mean to believe with the heart. And I'll lay one foundation why if you understand this element of faith, faith becomes less of a struggle. You see, this is the reality that you and I deal with. Our father... John 4 says, verse 24, is a spirit. Jesus is a spirit being. The Holy Spirit 
is a spirit being. You and I are spirit beings that have a soul and live in a physical body. First Thessalonians 5.23. Have we done that course? What? Pneumatology. So we're on the same page. Your ability to understand that, that this is not you. This is the house in which you live in. And that you are looking through the windows of this house to see me. But more importantly, that everything around you has trained you to be aware of everything you can see with your eyes, touch with your hands, taste with your tongue, hear with your ears. We are naturally, because of the way we're created, aware of our senses. But for the person that has become a child of God, his spirit has been reborn. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The real you is indwelled by the spirit of God. And it's not only that, that, that you are indwelled by the spirit of God. Though you are physically on this earth, spiritually you are seated in heavenly places on the right hand of majesty far above principalities and powers. Spiritually, though you're physically here, you actually are in heavenly places. That, that is vital. Because the struggle with faith really is rooted in people that are mindful or overwhelmed by their natural senses wanting to embrace realities that exist in the spirit realm. That is the struggle of faith. All that is the struggle of faith. How can I, a spirit being, that has all that God has available to me, in me, I, am, I have the love of God to overflowing dimensions on the inside of me. 1 John 2 verse 20 says, I have an unction from the Holy One. Verse 27, the anointing that I've received of him abides in me. That means irrespective of how I feel, the third person of the Godhead, the all-knowing, all-wise, all-comforting paraclete dwells on the inside of me. Do I feel him many times? No. When I feel goosebumps in worship, does that mean he's now present? Not really. He was as present before I felt the goosebumps. Long after the goosebumps are gone, he's still present. But when the music lowers and the lights dims and the right chords are struck, I feel in my body that now he's here. No. He was here before they struck a chord. So this is our challenge. My brothers and sisters, we live increasingly in, a, in an environment where we're doing everything external to persuade ourselves that spiritual things are real. Yet we want to believe those things without the influence of those external realities. What am I saying? 
The person that will develop strong conviction, not mental assent, not just agreeing mentally or emotionally, is going to have to be a person that learns to be more aware of spiritual truth, which Romans 8 says, to be spiritual minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death. Being spiritually minded just simply means this. It means I am a spirit. I, the spirit, I have a soul. If my soul leans on my spirit reality, I am, I, I mind spiritual things. If I focus on my shell, the house reality, I'm a carnal-minded person. Wherever your soul leans, whatever your soul practices, whatever your soul is more aware of, you're more spiritual-minded or carnal-minded. Being spiritual-minded almost diametrically puts you to being carnally minded and being carnal minded diametrically puts you to being spiritual minded. Because once you are more focused on what you can feel, see, touch, taste, you're not being aware of non-physical tangible things but more tangible things like spiritual truth. And that's why the foundation of strong faith is Mark 11.23. Turn with me real quick before we come to Mark 11.23 to Isaiah. Isaiah 55. Then we'll come back and consolidate on what faith is. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Verse 6. Let's take it from context. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What are you trying to tell us, Father? Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his... So he's talking about ways or actions and thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways seeth the Lord. Let's pause here. You see, traditionally, when we read this verse, this verse is used to quote the fact that, you know, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are... Okay, let's continue reading. 
For as the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth, and board, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, that goeth forth, out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper wherein I sent it. Okay, so let me introduce this possibility. I believe that this scripture is not God saying, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways, and there's really nothing you can do about it. No, I believe what he's saying is because you're learning to look only externally and you're judging things externally, you treat them as Igbo because you're looking externally. You call them Mala because they're external. You treat them inferior because they're uneducated. You're looking external. It is making you unrighteous in your actions. The way you're thinking about it is wrong. And how you are acting in response is invariably wrong. In fact, I think differently and I act differently. And it's different from how you think and act. But my plan is for you to move away from your thinking and move away from your actions so that you take my thinking and you take my actions and as you learn to think my thinking and act my actions, you'll be found in fellowship with me. He's not saying you can't attain how I think. Really, he's saying, I want you to think like I think. And to start that, the underlining principle is this. You must understand that the primary purpose of words is not for information. The primary purpose of words is not for information. The first revelation we see, okay, arguable, Genesis 1, in the beginning, Elohim, we see a revelation of the triune God. In the beginning, create the heavens and the earth. Then we see the fall, the lapse. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord brewed over the earth. And God said, one of the first revelations we see of him is that he is a God that creates by speaking. Eleven times in Genesis, the first chapter. And God said. And God said, he's not trying to give us information about what he's doing. He actually is doing. Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goeth, words are for going forth. And it is designed not to return empty. 
Words are for accomplishing. Words are for doing work that it is desired. Until you understand that the law of words is the foundation of the spirit realm. Is the realm of, that is superior to the realm of the field, taste, touch, see. Until that is grounded in your heart. Faith will always be a struggle. Because you will constantly be looking for natural things that help you build faith in a spiritual thing. Yet, faith is the substance. Faith is spiritual substance. Faith is confidence. It's not a natural confidence based on external information. It is substance that comes from making contact with a tangible, all-knowing, all-creating, self-sustaining, self-existing God. If you take Hebrews 11 in the context of what we sometimes misquote, Hebrews 11 lists people that collided with God that in the process of colliding with God got not just information but they met with reality and left that experience acting like what they experienced of God was the truth even when there was nothing natural to validate what they became persuaded of that for 100 years Noah will keep knocking on this particular ark for a hundred years. Do you know how long that is? Do you know what it is for a hundred years? For people say, what are you building? An ark. What for? It's going to rain. What, what is rain? You know, you know some of that little stuff, there's going to be plenty of it. And it's going to be everywhere. It's going to sweep. Okay. I, I, I'll see you later. I'll see you. Come, ten years later. You, you, okay. When exactly, what did you say will happen? You have to understand the context. He did not have brethren to go to church to meet that will encourage him. He did not have scripture to read, daily devotion to read, to encourage him. There had to be something of his experience so tangible, it, it built deep conviction. For me, one of the most beautiful pictures of Christ in the Old Testament is Joseph. Think about that young man. He, heard, he, he had a dream, and the dream was so compelling. The vision, the encounter was so compelling that after his life took a downward turn for 16 years, he would live consistent with conviction. Though nothing around him validated what he believed. So that tells me it is not just reading Bible. It is experiencing the God of the Bible. That's where strong faith comes from. It's not just, I, I believe in having devotion, devotionals. I believe in having regimented reading. But there must be something more that you are contacting. He says, you read the scriptures. In them, you seek eternal life. But you will not come to me that you may have life. Yet day be day that testify of me. 
You see, what builds confidence is not big English. What builds confidence is not really how many times you read it. It is contacting something of the life of God. Making a vital contact of an experience with his person. Every one of those listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, they made a contact. They became convinced because of an experience that was founded on a relationship with God from which they acted and God rewarded. That's why you heard me allude to the fact. He says, he that comes to God must believe that he is. He is what? He believe, must believe that he is what he revealed himself to you as. That means if he reveals himself to you as the God that will take you out of your father's house and take you to a land that you do not know and will bless you and make you great, he doesn't expect you to act like he is the God that told you to build an ark. He, he rewards how convinced of what he told you to do and you are doing. He, re he rewards what he shows you of, yours, of himself that you act like it is true. That's what he rewards. Sarah judged him. She, 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 she looked back at her experiences. Ah, daddy, sweetheart. It's been a long time ago. But you know everything you said God said that we should do. When we left that time, we were not sure. See, people made fun of us. But look, he has been good to us. When, when Lot left, it was like that was the end. But we, things have, God is faithful. She judged God faithful. You see, one of the things I, I believe, and I say this because we have the benefit of looking at the last 25 years, 26 30 years of the Word of Faith movement in Nigeria. And I believe there's a mistake that we get so mechanical that we want to play out mechanics. Only people that have a vital relationship and come out with conviction based on the Word, not crazy, fluffy, weird, angel appeared to me, I went to, and I'm not saying everybody that says that are weird. <laughs> Let's continue. Experiences based on God's word. Stop this thing of trying to elevate your experience above God's word. Irrespective of how real that experience is, does it line up with God's word? One of the things that, though we, of knowing him and even some of those experiences of Brother Higgins stand outlandish, he will always line up those experiences, those testimonies, those visions with God's word. Don't tell me of people that are in hell and you saw things that scripture doesn't tell us of people that are in hell. It's not consistent with God's word. His written word reveals the living word. It has to be consistent. So what are we saying? Faith is being convinced of. It is being sure. It is an assurance. But that assurance is not an assurance that is based on natural information. It is not, I know my uncle is coming to town next week. I know my rich uncle is coming to town next week. And he always drops something when he comes. 
next week, I believe God will bless me. No, that, that's not biblical faith. Because that faith is rooted in the words and the actions of your uncle. Strong faith is always directed to an audience of one. It is something that in the reading of his word, his word comes alive unto you. His word becomes real, builds a reality in you. Faith is being convinced. It is being confident of what we hope for. Notice this. Even the hope is scriptural hope. It's not hope that is just, ah, they're paying end of month, bon end of the year bonus. No, that is natural hope. This hope we're talking about is hope that is founded on what God wants, tells you to anticipate, to expect to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, to expect him to protect all that concerns you, that shouts of joy will be heard in the tabernacle of the righteous. His word builds hope. But this is what I'm telling you. At some point in time, you are going to have to shift from just merely expecting it sometime to a place where words are spoken to do work. And because the words that are spoken to do words, a conviction that those words that were sent did the work and you got something by the word that was spoken. Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God or have the God kind of faith or operate faith like I operate faith. Because that's the context of the story. They were on their way to Jerusalem the day before. He cursed the fig tree. No man eat of you hereafter. When he said it, his disciples heard it. The next day they were passing through. They saw the fig tree that were cursed and said, Jesus, that's the fig tree. Look at it. It's dying from its roots. Then he said, operate faith like I operate faith. Operate faith like my father operates faith. Use words to do work like I use words to do work. Verse 23, for whosoever shall say unto this mountain, that whosoever, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. What does he not doubt in his heart? He does not doubt that what he said did the work of its saying. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Listen to me. As, as important as it is to believe God is a good God, when you speak, mountain be removed, and be thou cast into the sea, what you are believing is not God is a good God. Is it a good thing to believe? Absolutely. But when faith is being released, what you are believing is that the words that were used is doing what it was sent to do. And that's where our challenge is. That's why the person that lies can never develop strong faith. Your heart will not believe you. 
Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. In his heart, I, I needed to do what we've been exercising since. I love the way you, take, you took it. Because that's what your heart is doing. You see, your taking it is a taking that your heart takes. Is your spirit, is your heart, the hidden man of the heart that takes it. It's not a taking externally. I'll see you next session. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.